Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Angular Air. I am your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and today we have part two of Angular Universal. Should be pretty cool. We're following up on our episode 148, where we had uh, Angular Universal with Jason Jean and Mark, and this is part two. So let's get started. Uh, say hi to our panelists today. We've got uh, Austin McDaniel with us. Austin, how's it going? How's it going, everyone? Very, very quiet and subdued today. You're not. Are you not awake yet? What What's going on? I'm just saving all the excitement for the rest of the show. Nice, nice. All right, I like it. I like it. All right, Mike, what's going on? I'm just taking a little bit of Angular outdoors and. Relaxing outside on the deck on a beautiful day here in Pennsylvania. Nice. Universal. Angular runs anywhere. <laughs> Server, client, and outdoors, right? Outdoors. Yeah, it's nice. We should do an all outdoor show one time episode. Can we do I'm that? I guess so. I like that. Cool. All right. And our guest today, we got Fabian and Jason with us. Uh, both of you guys want to say hi? Hey, thanks for having us back. So uh, my name's Jason. I do a lot with Universal. And I did some of the work in the CLI in terms of getting the build to work and then also helping out with the schematics here and then. Hey, I'm Fabian. I, uh, my day job is at a small rocket company here in New Zealand called Rocket Lab. Um, and I spend a lot of my spare time doing open source stuff, uh, primarily on the Angular Universal team. Um, and yeah. Awesome. And so we got part two of Universal, right? Maybe we can recap really quick uh, what was in part one and then where we're at. And there's some things that have changed, right? Like including a new version of Angular and the CLI. So maybe we can get a recap first. Yeah, so last time we basically went zero to universal. So we started from scratch. Um, we used the CLI. There was a lot of great features that allowed us to quickly get up and running with universal. And then we extended that a little bit to give us a full-fledged server. And um, that's the application we'll be starting with today in the exact state that we ended with last time. So if you missed that one, check that out. Cool. Cool. And that was again episode 148. It was earlier this year. I think it was what uh, February. Yeah, so not too long ago, but uh, cool. Yeah, and as Mike alluded to, Universal is Angular for the server side. So instead of running in the browser, it'll be running on the server, and this gives a lot of different features that you can do to give your users a better experience and better SEO. So what uh, what do you have in uh, store for us with part two here? So where are we going to be going with this? Yeah, so the plan for today is, as Johnson mentioned, that there's a new Angular version. And that comes with some changes, not that many. So we're going to take the project that we had before. And first, we're going to upgrade that to Angular 6. So we get a sneak peek at how ng-update works. But we're not going to go too in-depth. And then we're going to go into some SEO performance boosts that you can do. Cool. So come for the universal, stay for the update. We kind of get bonus content. That's nice. 
All right, any other questions before we get started into the code? Nope, I think we're ready. Justin was right, it is kind of quiet today. All right, I'm going to share the code. So this is in the state that we last left off. So the only thing that I've done is I've done a yarn install. And I also have some VS Code settings because I've updated my IDE. But so the first thing that we notice is that this project is still on 5.2. So the new Angular CLI makes it really easy to upgrade. And the first thing we have to do is install the new version of CLI. So after we do this, Angular CLI gives us the ability to update our packages now. And uh, Mike could talk a little bit more about this. Yeah, um, so as of right now with this version update, so you're going from, uh, if you scroll down to your, de your dev dependencies, you'll see 1.168. So anything prior to version six, ng update doesn't exist in the same capacity as it does in six. So there's a manual step to update the CLI uh, to version six so that you can use uh, the new features that Jason's alluding to to update your dependencies with changes, not just updating version numbers. And I think you're updating uh, the CLI inside of this project, not necessarily the global one, but you're doing it for this project. Is that correct? Yeah, so Preface, I already have the new version of Angular CLI installed. If you don't, make sure to upgrade to your global version first, and then update in your local project. Of course, with live demos, Yarn and NPM seem to be not installing our latest CLI. All right. so. Now, if we notice, we have Angular CLI version 6.0, and this gives us an ng-update command. So this lets us install the next version of Angular CLI. And we're going to see what that looks like. So all we have to do is ng-update Angular CLI. And this is going to do a bunch of migrations to our project. There's a lot of changes in Angular 6 and Angular CLI 6. So we're going to see the generation of this new Angular JSON, which is constructed out of our previous .angular CLI JSON. And some of the files have also been moved around. Any questions so far? Mike, do you want to tell us a little bit more about this new structure? Um, I don't think, uh, just a quick correction, I don't think any files have moved. If you scroll up, it'll show you um, what files have changed. Uh, notice you see the delete.angularcli.json and the angular.json. So those changed. Um, but that, And then there was a little bit of change with uh, the Karma file uh, to support the new builders uh, that come with uh, version 6. And just a few path changes in like the TSLint and then versions in the package.json. So I don't, it's very clean in terms of uh, your directory structure, then nothing should really be moved around for you. 
Yep, I still feel quite at home. And so what you've noticed is that our Angular version is still not updated. So the next step is to use ng-update. It not only works for Angular CLI, but also for Angular Core. So this will update all of our Angular versions, as well as updating the TypeScript dependency and the RxJS, if we had the right TypeScript. So we can use force to kind of override the, uh, the peer dependency restrictions. And this will go ahead and kind of force the updates. Although you should be careful when doing this because it's forcing and it's not guaranteed to work. So now that all of our dependencies are updated to Angular 6, we are officially on Angular 6. And if we do an ng-serve, we should see our application show up on screen. So after this is done compiling, we should have a working application. And I will show that real quick. So this is our application here. It's just a regular CLI app. So next thing we're going to you can see a different window. Okay. Hangouts window. Technical difficulties. There, I didn't lie. We have a working Angular 6 application, all with two commands. So, okay. so I just want to bring up a point real quick. You did ng update on at Angular slash core, and it knew all of the dependencies and everything that it needed to update. So it's not just that. It, it went through and, and had the smarts to handle all the other stuff, like TypeScript and all that stuff. So that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and notice also that RxJS updated and RxJS compatibility was also added. Right, like and today. also we didn't have to update all the other Angular dependencies. Those were all upgraded as well. That makes things very easy. Huge thanks to the CLI team for doing this. And this is, I think, going to change the way that developers think about dependencies. For sure, for sure. Because I mean, that's always one of the challenges, right? Is, OK, I got to go into this package.json file and update. What do I need to update? And which ones are dependent on one another? And yeah, yeah, super fast, very cool. Cool. I'm sure we'll go into more detail on this for other episodes, but now we can get into the universal stuff. So unfortunately, the upgrade wasn't as magical for the universal side of things, but just some quick fixes. This is the architect configuration that Angular CLI 6 introduces, and there's a lot of different tasks and tar or targets that uh, architect takes. And one of those is the server target. And this is what we would have had before as a different application, but now it's built into a different target of our existing application. So there's just some slight things that didn't get named properly. Our main file on tsconfig 
are pointing to the wrong place, so I'm just correcting that. Server.json is here, and the main.server is here within the source directory, so I'm just amending that. And that is all we have to do to change the angular.json. And then we also want to update to other dependencies. In the future, this should work with, well, actually right now it should work with ng-update as well. So we can go ahead and update that. So if nothing is written, especially for ng-update, all it does is install the latest version, also update the package.json. So this is not doing anything other than just updating the dependency. But you'll see that it also updated the module map ng-factory loader, since it also knew that that was a dependency. Hey, Justin, I'm thinking that maybe we need to do a show on ng-update. You definitely do. Done. It'll happen. You'll be the guest. How about that? Maybe a ghoulist. Yeah, there we go. And, and cool. I just want to drive home again really quick, because it's so subtle. It's little, but it, I think it's, it's super beneficial, right? You just updated ng-universal slash express-engine, and like you mentioned, it picked up the module-map ng-factory one as well, right? Just saves so much time, even on a, a multiple thing like this. So I don't know. Very cool. Yeah. So if you guys haven't tried this in your own projects, I would give this a shot. Um, you might have to do some more with RxJS, but luckily for us, this project is really simple and we're not using much RxJS, but the RxJS compat package should help you there. But now this should be fully converted. We just have to change some of our commands from earlier. So these are some commands that we wrote in the first episode and in the end, what it allows you to do is run watch and run server. And watch will recompile your code and watch for file system changes. And server will run the server that this generates. So there's some things that have changed. Um, to bring up a server before, what we did is that we did npm run build with a different app. But this app no longer exists. So we're just going to changes over to the new API. So with architect, what Angular CLI allows you to do is use this ng-run command. And what that does is, oh, never mind. There's no help for that. Um, what it allows you to do is you run different architect targets. So how we can decipher which target we actually want is we go into a project. So this is our main application. And within architect, we have different targets. So you can run any of these targets with ng-run. So if I ran universal error colon build, let's do that. This will build your client application. So instead of doing the client build, what we want to do is do our server build. So for that, we just change the build to the server target. And this will run this configuration with this builder with these options. And here we have our new bundle. So if we execute, or if we look at what this new bundle is. 
So this is just a node REPL, and I'm able to execute node commands here. So we can take a look at what we got. So this is our generated file that we see in here. And I'm just going to require it in to see what it got us. And we don't need a JS here. This is the same thing we got last time. What it comes with is our ng factory and our module map. It's just been renamed to main.js. So we'll need to make that change within our server.ts. We were pulling in from the main.bundle, but we've renamed that to main with the latest version of CLI. And then what we have here we want to put what we had before. So if we run universal air with the server, this will build it for the server. Without AOT. Do you know if there's an AOT option for the server bundle? I'm not certain if there is for that particular builder. So unfortunately, some of the features aren't as flushed out as of yet, but I'm sure they'll be resolved soon. One of the other things that is also missing from the server uh, target right now is the watch mode. So this will no longer work. But what we can do is we can use nodemon, as we're doing here, to execute the build command every time we see file changes. So I have this saved somewhere. Um, in the future, you won't need to be doing this. So hopefully, this will become easier. But for the sake of not giving any misinformation, I'm going to use our existing tools to see how this works. So what you're going to do is instead of running the build server ng with the watch, we're going to edit this command. And it's going to look like this. I have this copied in my cheat sheet over here. And what it does is it watches the source directory, which has our source code. And it looks for extensions of HTML, CSS, TypeScript. This is generally the extensions that we're going to be editing within our source code. And every time any of those files changes, it's going to execute ng run universal air server. So now if we run this, it's going to do an initial build of our main.js. And then anytime that I change something in here, it will detect those changes and build it again. And hopefully, we can get a watch option, which Fabian made a pull request for just last night. But obviously, it's not ready for today. So thank you, Fabian. And to be clear, you, 
you have uh, Nodemon installed globally, just so you can execute it directly? I have Nodemon installed in the project. So that's what is happening whenever I run Nodemon in here. OK. Well, once again, in the future, this is not the recommended or the easiest way. Can you talk briefly about uh, that server build target that's in there in the architect? And is that something that's out of the box? Like, can you just explain that really quick? Sure. So the architect targets um, mostly rely on a builder. So what architect does is these are just generic names. And most of the configuration is within here. So you can actually extend what the CLI does whenever you do ng run a target. So this builder comes from Angular DevKit, build Angular. And when we updated our packages, it came with it. So that's down here. And this is all of the functionality behind the run targets of Angular CLI. So this includes build, lint, test, and all of those things. So as we can see, we're using the build Angular browser. And we have some other configurations that allow us to do serve. We have some IE10N built in and also some testing. So this comes built in as long as you have the package. And this is also from the Angular core team. Yeah, to be clear, most of those are brought over during the update process. Uh, that when it creates the angular.json from your .angularcli.json, that those get added automatically. So you don't really need to know anything about those particularly. Uh, by naming the particular target here build, as you see on line 11, uh, that just means that that's corresponding with the build command. And, so you, when can you, run, those, and you can name those whatever you want. Uh, for those, um, you, if in order for ng-build to work, it needs to be named build because it's looking for that particular name to say, all right, if you run ng-build, um, it's going to run the architect-built uh, target. So do not rename that. Correct. So as we can see, by running ng-build, it picked up this target and ran our build. Cool. So now that we have everything back in order, so now we fix our watch so that it recompiles our code. And we the other stuff still stayed intact. We can still run our client build with watch. So now if we npm run watch, all of our code watching should work, except for this one. I think it has changed to watch. Yep. So the dash W option no longer exists. So we have this watch, and this will be compiling our client app. And then just like before, we can run our server. And we should be able to see our page. And I will go and show that real quick. Hmm. 
which one is it? Is it this one? Yes. So on port 4000, we have an Angular application. And as we saw last time, in review source, we actually have our HTML content within our HTML. And this is the core functionality of Angular Universal. The main objective here is that we have our Angular application do the logic, but on the server side, so that we can return to the user when they make a request to our server, a full HTML with all of the text. So we're up and running with Angular 6 and Angular Universal. So to be clear, everything that you did with updating was uh, a few tweaks with the build targets um, and the scripts there. And the only code changes you had to make within your application were a few path changes, correct? Yep, and I'm sure those will be resolved in later versions of the CLI, so it'll be even more seamless. I believe you put up a pull request that I reviewed um, uh, about a week ago or so that was working on that, I believe? Or it may have been a separate schematic, but I saw some changes regarding that. Yeah, I think some of it was addressed, but we'll be making more. As a, you know, we upgraded from Angular 5 here to Angular 6. You know, we saw some changes in the uh, architect stuff and the build and some of the past. Was there any other, like, changes that we should be aware of um, to Universal uh, that happened in Angular 6? Nothing that um, drastic. Like, none of the APIs changed. We didn't change our source code. And like some bug fixes probably, but nothing that affects this application or most applications out there. It was a pretty smooth transition. I think the main change um, that Jason alluded to earlier is the configuration difference. Instead of in Angular 1.x, um, the configuration for the Universal app was that it was a separate application. Whereas in version 6, it's not a separate application. It's just a different way of compiling or transpiling the, ex the same application. So this is the CLI, Angular CLI JSON from before. And what we see in here is that within our apps configuration, in the old version, we had a different application name called server. And this was translated over into what we have now, which is above. And we have our server configuration. So it makes it a little bit more compact in this sense. And I think that's a simpler mental model as well, that it's the same application just being rendered two different ways. Uh, once. Uh, being rendered for on the server side, and then the other uh, being rendered in the client side, versus thinking them as of them as two separate applications. I agree. Is this something you came up with, Brocky? No, 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 no. I'm not that smart. I let smart people do the fun things. Oh, now don't sell yourself short. So, do you know who it was actually? I, I think it was conceptually the idea when the whole architect idea came into play of thinking of different ways to build 
the idea of an application versus a target, uh, that whole mental model is responsible for that. And that was uh, a conglomeration between Hans and Philippe and Charles. Yeah, we see a little bit more of it for test usually in the, or previously this was a different configuration altogether, but now it's built into our applications. Yeah, like I said, I think that fits into the same idea of the mental model of, all right, how are you targeting your application? Well, sometimes you're targeting it to run in the browser. Uh, so for build or serve, and then maybe you're targeted for testing. So to target your application uh, for testing is one aspect. And then another target would be, in this case, uh, server to be able to render it out uh, for a node environment. And I think that just is a much better mental model, that it's the same application just being targeted to different uh, approaches. Yeah. So if there's no more questions for our update process, which is now complete, we can jump into some SEO optimizations that you can do for your application. Hey, before we go there, I, I have a question, but it's not related to the build, but it's a universal question. And it may be a topic for a whole other episode, but uh, I kind of want to address it now because you, you have the screen up there where you were showing the index HTML file with the markup of those rendered components already delivered to us on that first index HTML, right? So my question is, is what do we need to think about in terms of styling and, you know, the different options that we have within Angular to do our um, styling, right? And our view encapsulation for those things. Like, does that come into play? And is that something we need to think about in terms of which one we choose for that, for this universal delivery and, and things like that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Hey, Fabian, do you want to answer this question? Yeah. So for... <clears throat> Uh, styling, you want to try stick with uh, component-based styles rather than using that global style sheet. Um, because as you can see in that example there, under the head tag, there's a style uh, with you know, font weight bold. Um, that'll be a style that's coming off uh, one of the uh, components that's being rendered there. However, if you have a style sheet that's doing some global styles, that'll actually be uh, rendered X, uh, as not a part of the initial render because it will have to be actually fetched. So you'll get some sort of jank or you know jarring effect as that's loaded in and those styles are applied. Um, what about my styles.css, the styles that like Angular provides? Does it do anything special for those? No, no, it doesn't. It only renders the uh, component styles into the head. Um, and that's all that's rendered down to the index.html. Um, all styles in that uh, styles.css and linked from there uh, will be bundled up into the styles.js that you see there and loaded externally. Sounds like a good feature request. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, if, if we could take those styles out and inline them, uh, that would be a, a great thing for Universal Rally. And this is really important for the very first render because you won't have these available until the net request comes back, but you are going to be able to render the HTML. And if you're not careful with how these are loaded and they're not blocked, 
then your styles will be like out of jank and you'll have what's known as a flash of unstyled content. And I think this will come, yeah, as you're gonna talk about SEO and stuff like that, that's something that we would need to think about, right? Is, you know, what is this experience gonna be like that's captured by these crawlers as well as individual people that hit that and sort of things, all part of the equation, right? Yep, so last episode, we went through the basics of how to get up and running, which we've reached at this point. So in this episode, now it's part two, we can go through some more advanced things that we can do with Universal in terms of SEO and getting down into why it's a good option for some websites. Any other questions? I think the crowd is chanting SEO, SEO. Yeah, so SEO, if for those of you who don't know, is basically how your application works when kind of not people but robots see your page. So sometimes the user of your site is not going to be an actual person with a screen. It's just going to be a server requesting the same HTML and it's trying to get information out of it. So one of the things that it looks for is what's known as meta tags. And we can see in our index right now, we already have some meta tags. And things like the title are also very important. But our goal is to add more of these meta tags so that we can tell robots or crawlers exactly what our page is actually about. Because right now, all it gets is that there's a title of universal error, and it doesn't know any description or images that that's going on. So to do this, we can use a injectable that's provided in our platform browser, actually. So that is called the meta provider. So this has a couple of different methods. And the one we're going to look at right now This um, is going to be update tag. So before we do that, there was a couple more. Add tag adds a meta tag. Add tag gets the uh, DOM reference to the meta tag. And remove tag removes it. But update tag kind of like does all of the above. So we're just going to use this one. It's pretty simple. If one of them doesn't exist, if this one that we're creating doesn't exist, then it will create it. If it does, then we would have to remove it. But, or if it does and we don't want it to be there, we would have to remove it. But basically, it accepts this thing called a meta definition. And what that looks like, it looks like your meta tag. So when you're writing HTML meta, one of the things you might do is do something like content is our just sorry our content the name equals description and then we assign a different content to it so like this is our universal Angular site so this is our end result that we want to see and the structure of that object looks very much like this, as we'll see. So I'm gonna remove this from there. And within the component, 
I'm going to give this a name of description and a content of this is my English. So now everything's rebuilt since our watcher is still going. And we can see on the page now that we refresh, we have a new meta tag that appears on the page. So this is the same information I wrote before in the update meta call. So it has a name of description and a content of this is my Angular site. And this will allow crawlers to better judge what your page is about. And let's use this information when it decides to access that information. So is there any questions about how the meta tags work? Yeah, I was curious why, um, what the differences or benefits would be to define your meta tag in code versus in the index.html directly. So sometimes we're not just accessing a home page, but we might be accessing a, a lazy route or something like this. And we might want to indicate to the user that the content on this page is pertaining to the actual data. So sometimes we might make a dynamic HTTP request where we don't know exactly what we're going to put in the index HTML, which is pretty much hard coded. And we want to dynamically load that in via the JavaScript or the TypeScript. So you're saying hard coding things can be bad? <laughs> it could be bad if you don't want it to be hard coded. It could be bad if it's not static information. Um, dynamic information, you don't want to hard code. No, that, that's an excellent use case for that. So I have a quick question on that or, or a point that we could talk about. Um, so if we're not using universal, but we want to have meta contextual content for each of our pages, and we do this approach, like, um, are we still going to be okay if a crawler hits our site and this is client side loading this stuff up? Or, I mean, ideally it'd be universal, but, but like, what's the experience if we didn't do universal, but did use the meta tags and had these kind of deep linking? So... Sometimes it'll work correctly. So if you Google something and you put a site, let's say we're trying to look something up on Angular. So how does components work? And we want to limit our search to angular.io since that is our Bible. And we're able to see this information. But if we take a look at this page, hey, look, Angular 6 is available. Um, we see very little information in the meta since this is not a universally rendered page. So the body starts here. The only meta tags that we've seen are the static ones that we've seen above. But as you saw in the search results, there are there is a lot of information here. So search engines like Google are able to execute your JavaScript. But if we do the same search on a other Search engine, um, let's say bring.com. I think this will work pretty well as well. But as you see, the information is not the same. And the difference is how these different search engines crawl your site. 
So what Google will do is it'll take this HTML. It will see that it has some JavaScript attached to it. And it will actually run this stuff as well, whereas Bing will not. However, it still does some kind of JavaScript somehow. It's just not consistent. And the thing that you get with more kind of already defined meta tags, such as this, is that if we were to deploy this onto the public web, you'd be able to see this information on every search engine and you'd have consistent results across them all. But even if you don't use universal, you should still be using the update tag method as you have the chance of some search engines such as Google, if that's important to you, which it should be, then this information will still show up relatively well. You're just going to be sacrificing some of the performance that you're going to get from your Bing searches and stuff like that. So it depends on your user base. Cool, thank you. Cool, so that was kind of a kind of very hello world example. One of the areas where this is also important is for social. So Twitter allows you to define your cards. And this is also done via meta tags. So sometimes when you share links in Twitter, you get these nice summaries of what that link actually says. So apparently this link is about the history of Twitter. And that's done by including their meta tags. So as you can see, they have a name of Twitter and there's a couple of different areas that you can fill in. So the site is your Twitter username. The title is the title of your page. Description and image, they're pretty self-explanatory. So what we can do is we can create a service that gives us this meta output using the update tag method from before. So to jump back to the code, instead of using meta within here, we're going to generate a new service. So let's call that service the SEO Twitter service. So now that we have this created, we can use it within our component. Also notice that in Angular 6, we're allowed to do this provide in root. We can go into more detail about this, but it wasn't added to our module, yet you'll see when we try to use it, it'll still appear. I think you, you have one T in the Twitter service. Well, that's no fun. Let's just retry that. Uh, Twitter, Twitter is up and coming, though, so. That one's probably available. <laughs> so now we just import the Twitter service, not Twitter. And we move this logic into a method on the Twitter service. So we can say set Twitter metadata. And that'll call this method. We have to inject header. And now on ng-init, we'll call this.twitter.setTwitter. 
if we jump back over to our browser here, if we check the source, wrong source, let's close out some tabs. I want to keep this one. We still get our meta. But this will encapsulate all of our Twitter meta information within the service. And what I'm going to do now is implement a nice API for it. So what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to pass in an object that has some of the information that we saw before on the summary card. So we saw the type of card that it was. I want this to be the summary card. And we want a title. And let's just call this universal error. We want a description of and we can also set a Twitter handle, which I'm just going to look back and see what that was. That is called our site. And we can use the, what is the Angular Air Twitter handle? At Angular Air. Just like this? Yep. Sweet. So now that I've done this, we should actually implement this stuff. So what we want in here, I'm going to define an interface called Twitter. And just copy this information in. So this is a string. This is also a string. The title is also going to be a string. And I'm going to keep this type as summary. Later on, there will be other ones. So I think one of them is like a video. Not entirely sure. But this is going to be the interface we're going to accept when we pass all this information in. No unused expression. Extra Twitter. credit on line five. Aha. Thank you. So this is the interface we're going to accept within set Twitter meta data. And what we're going to do is we're going to update a bunch of meta tags what reading from this metadata. So the content of Twitter description is going to be our metadata description. Our Twitter title is going to be our metadata title. Our, I think it was called Twitter card. Referencing the docs that we had opened before. This is going to be whatever card type is in our metadata. And the one last thing was our Twitter site, which is going to be our metadata dot site. So now, whenever we call this method, we're going to update a bunch of user tags, but all we have to do is call the one method. And what we're going to see is four different meta tags with this information. 
So all that's been rebuilt, and if I jump back to the browser, and we request that information again, we can see our description, our title, our Twitter card, and our site. So without this, what you would see in Twitter is some very basic information. So you wouldn't get, you'd probably get a title and not much of a description. And then that would be the only thing that shows up. You wouldn't get an image and you wouldn't get the site. But if you were to, now if you were to deploy this online and someone was going to, let's say like universalair.com, nobody take that please, and then um, share that, you would get something like this and you would get beautiful previews. And this is good for your users because when they see your content on Twitter, um, we can see that, hey, look. So if we look for some websites that are being shared, wow, no one's sharing websites. Okay, so someone shared a blog post to MS Build, and you get a little bit more information about what you're actually going to click into when you click this. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a picture, you wouldn't have a description, you just kind of be clicking a black box link that you don't know where it goes. And if you want people to actually click links to your site, it's best to show up that information even off domain on other platforms. That was a lot. Any questions about that? No, that, that's absolutely awesome. Uh, to be able to render that dynamically, to be able to, especially for sites like Twitter, and then I'm assuming other mediums uh, such as Facebook or Slack or anything else have their own meta uh, demogra or meta tags that you can use to populate that data as well, correct? I know that um, you were talking about Google earlier, but Google also has extra meta tags where you can like tell users like how to get started and stuff like that as well. So it's not even just what you see as, you know, what you see right there. And this would also be very important for when you wanted to make an AMP page. Right now this isn't exactly the easiest, but this is crucial because all AMP pages have strict requirements on what kind of metadata they want. What to is an AMP page for those viewers who don't know? So an AMP page is an accelerated and bubble page. And it's a page that's entirely server rendered, and it links out to some restricted scripts that are made to be optimized that do the stuff as before. So instead of using a regular image tag, you would instead use a AMP image tag. But everything has to be server rendered. So if you wanted to use Angular to make your AMP page, you would use Angular Universal. Does that answer the question of what is AMP? We definitely need an episode on AMP and Angular, for sure. I think it's a really cool technology, so that would be a, a great episode. Uh, what it allows you to, it also gives you some SEO bonuses as well. If you search for the latest articles on, say, Google I.O., which is going on right now, if you're on mobile, see if this actually works with the emulator.
thanks for pausing in debugger. Okay. So as you see, there's this carousel. And in the top right, there's this lightning icon. And this means these articles are AMP. So if we go to a Gizmodo article, we see the same content, but within a different interface. So if you notice, there's this bar on top, which we can swipe left and right, although we can't really do it on desktop. Probably some of the code doesn't work. I don't know. But otherwise, going to the same article on Gizmodo, I think this is the same article. You'll see a different layout, even if you're in mobile. So this is something your site can do if you want a page that renders fast, and also if uh, it should belong in kind of a news carousel, or the same thing is also moved to kind of uh, e-commerce sites and stuff like that. Hey, so I got a quick question about the, um, you know, the meta tags and like the Twitter uh, card and the things that you set up. Like, what do we need to think about as we take that to the next level and say, okay, we we need to be cognizant of like what components are updating that because that's updating like the global meta tags, right? And so if you had two components that were calling that same code, last one in would probably win. Like, what would be the strategy then to start thinking about where would you would you do that logic? Does that make sense? Yeah, so one of the things that would make probably the most sense is to attach it to the route. So we didn't put, well, we did put routing in this page. But one of the things we could do when we define our routes is, this is not the best way to do it, but we can also give in some data. And this could be some metadata, right? And we might have to resolve this. And wow, like you're that. showing your browser still. Oh, uh, well, let's share the code so people can see. So these are our routes that we've defined, and we can give it some data. If this is static data, we can put it in here, or we can resolve it so that it's dynamic. But we can use something like this to attach it to the router. If you're using NGRX, you can also make this a side effect of route navigation. And this will make sure that every only when route changes, you're going to have change in your page metadata. So if two different components try to do it, then Justin's right, like the last one would win out. So probably the child component or the last one in the tree would win. But this way, it's attached to the route change, which ultimately is when your metadata should change. And if your metadata should change and your route's not changing, maybe you would want to try and update your route as well so people can navigate to that page. So this is a good place to do that. Nice. And I like the um, I like when you had it as the data, because that's another good example. I always kind of look and say, okay, well, what am I going to put in that data property for my routes, right? Um, and sometimes you can talk about, well, maybe I want to prefetch it or whatever. That's a good thing. But there's not too many examples that I see of a good use case for that data property. And I think this is a, a great one, right, is the, the metadata and stuff that would go along with that route could be stored right in there um, and then just pulled in, right? Yeah, I would say any route-specific information should go on the router data. It just provides a nice way of state management that you don't have to worry about. It's just it loads with your route. And if your route data changes, 
you don't have to manually subscribe to the router in your component, the router can take care of that for you. So these are some of the nice updates that were brought in way back in the router that now we're fortunate enough to have. Okay, so we're getting to the end of the show. So maybe we talk about what anything that's upcoming or, or future stuff. Do you have anything that you want to throw out there about Universal and that story and everything? Yeah, Unless, Fabian. of course, there's any last thing you want to wrap up in here. <laughs> well, I hope um, that gives you an insight into like how to do SEO. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. But we would like to get into some future things, which Fabian would like to talk about. Yeah, so um, as part of some of the future stuff we want to do in Universal, uh, we want to you know make it easier uh, for people to get started. Well, at the moment we have the Universal Starter, which is pretty easy; you just clone it and good to go. Uh, but we're looking to add in uh, more ng add commands, so you can do something like ng add uh, ng Universal slash Express, and that will just set up all the Express setup. Um, and it'll be as simple as two commands and you, you know, start with the universal. Um, and then we can expand off that by building better tooling that will help with, uh, you know, watch mode like we saw earlier, how we had to use Nodemon. Uh, we have a few ideas to make that much easier developer experience um, going forward. Very cool. There's also some really cool stuff around elements, which is a new feature in Angular 6. So if you haven't seen it, Vikram Subramanian has a great talk during ng-conf 2018 about how elements can be used with server rendering. And the gist of it is that elements allows you to use Angular within little parts of your page. So only a specific kind of card or maybe a certain button, those would be the only sections that use Angular. So you could leverage that heavily with server-side rendering to get a really fast experience. So keep your eyes peeled for that in the future. Very cool. Very cool. I wonder if we uh, need to have an episode on deployment of this part. Like, what's the, the next next step, right? And getting it out to your servers where you're hosted and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that would turn into a lot of different discussions. Um, one of the ways you could do it is you could upload it to your own server, which is kind of ancient at this point. Most people are doing it, but you could also upload it to the cloud and run it on a machine in the cloud. And then even more advanced, you could run it as a cloud function or serverless architecture, and you could do all that. So there's a lot of different options there. We could probably do a show on it. Yes, we should do one on, on like Firebase functions in Angular and hosting your Universal or, or whatnot. If you want to see some of that stuff, David East has a video on YouTube. I think it's he does all the JavaScript frameworks server-side rendered and using Firebase Cloud functions. And I think the first one is Angular. So Very cool. Very cool. All right, well, let's uh, get to picks if anybody has any picks. That was a good pick. Uh, but anybody else have any any other ones you, thing you want to throw out here before we wrap up? Just kind of, yeah, there, okay, Mike. Mike, go ahead. 
Um, I don't know if anybody had heard, but uh, Angular 6 was released last week. Uh, we may have touched on it a little bit today, but uh, no. Um, so, But the big takeaway from that, uh, not only are the new features, but the alignment of major version numbers across uh, a lot of the Angular pieces. So Angular Core, Angular Material, and Angular CLI are now on the same version number, and those will stay in sync going forward. Um, so is that, and then the other one is related to Universal and SEO, is that uh, Igor Minar gave a talk at ng-conf about SEO. Um, and at the end of the talk, there's a link to an issue number that he created in the Angular DevKit repo about adding schematics uh, to be able to support SEO um, in a, um, using schematics to be able to generate SEO related code for your application to simplify some of that. So definitely something to take a look at and comment on that if you're interested in SEO. Nice. Very nice. Anyone else have any picks? I have a pick. Go ahead. It's going on right now. I mean, if you're watching this, then thank you. But also Google I.O. There's bound to be super cool stuff announced. So there's a bunch of announcements about Google Assistant that I'm really excited about. So yesterday was Microsoft's build, uh, which is like the Google I.O. of Microsoft. And uh, Visual Studio Code Live Share is now public uh, preview. So if you haven't checked that out, if you're not one of the lucky few that got a in private invite, you can now download it and check it out and uh, pair with your friends or send me a Twitter request and I'll pair with you. We can have some fun. So yeah. All right. You heard it. Flood, flood Austin with those requests. I do boring stuff. They won't be interested. <laughs> cool. All right. Any other picks? Speak now or forever hold your picks piece. <laughs> All right. We'll put a wrap on it. Uh, Jason, Fabian, thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing the information and taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. Definitely, definitely. All right, and we have a bonus episode this week on Thursday. We're going to be um, going behind the scenes of Mike's and Shy's and Pete Bacon Darwin's talk at NGConf uh, about SwitchMap. So we'll have that on Thursday. So it's a bonus episode this week. And then next week, I think we're back at it. We have uh, an episode on Jess testing and some other cool stuff coming in the pipe. So as always, stay tuned. Join us again. All right, later. See you guys.